Sunday school classes this morning. And if you don't have one of our new lessons, we started last week, lesson 12. Uh, if you put your hand up, we'll get one of the men, we'll help you with that. Uh, lesson 12, uh, we're looking at a lesson on restoration. A lesson on restoration. Man, it looks like we've got a whole breakfast buffet back there by the coffee this morning. I missed that somehow. Uh, hey, don't eat all the food back there. Man, Randall, you can't just stay back there the whole service. And uh, praise the Lord. Uh, by the way, how you feeling? Brother Randall, you doing okay? We prayed for you this week. Brother Randall, for those that didn't hear, he, he decided to find some ice and, and see if he could crack the ground, and he broke the ground. So I'm glad you're feeling better. Uh, take your Bibles with me and turn to John 21, the Gospel of John. Chapter 21, and as I mentioned, we're looking here at this lesson on restoration. I, I believe one of the most beautiful pictures uh, of love uh, we see in the, the Gospels, a picture of our Lord here on the shore after the resurrection, a picture of our Lord receiving those who had fled and left him, a picture of our Lord asking Peter to serve him yet again, giving him a chance to say, I love you. And I praise God for the restoration we see in this passage. And I want us to, uh, to learn as we grow together here. We're going to look at verses 1 through 19 of chapter 21 of John. And uh, going to look, we kind of catch up from last week, and then we'll look at point two today. But let's look together, starting in verse one. And after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple, whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon in bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken." And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. 
This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. So when they had nine, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. In verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, Thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands. And another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying, but what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we're sure thankful that we can gather here. Lord, we praise you for the opportunity that we have to Remember this Lord's Day as local congregations have done for these 2,000 years. Remember that empty tomb. Gather together to worship you. Gather together to focus upon your word and your purpose for the local church. Lord, this morning as we pause to consider restoration, Lord, as we think of how wonderful it is that you do not throw us away. How tremendous it is that you, even though you know that we are but dust, Lord, as the psalmist reminds us, Lord, you find us and count us worthy and faithful, putting us into the ministry as Paul shared with us. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to see the restoration here of Peter and the disciples. God, would you help us to love like you love? Help us to come back to you if that's needed today. Help us to help others. Lord, may you be glorified mightily. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We see Peter's conversation with Peter here near the end of the passage we read this morning. A conversation that obviously was very much on purpose. A conversation that shows us Jesus dealing with those who are broken. I grew up in a rural community. I grew up not in a big city, not even in a town. A very, very rural community. The only businesses in our community was a sawmill, uh, and then down the road was a feed store, and that was it. Uh, very rural. Now, if something broke on the farm where I was growing up, my grandfather didn't throw it away and drive to town and buy a new part. I don't think my grandfather ever threw anything away in his entire life of 80-some years. Uh, rather, uh, he'd try to fix it. He'd take some Balaam wire, 
and wrap it together. He'd find some way to hold it together, and he'd try to reuse it. And even if it was broken where he couldn't use it most of the time, he'd say, well, I'm going to I'll put this out in the barn. I'll put this out in the, uh, the coal house just in case we might need it. But we live in a different culture today. We live in a different attitude of our world today. Today, if something doesn't quite work right, we either throw it away or donate it somewhere. We, we don't want it. Uh, we have to have the newest and the best and the greatest, and everything has to be exactly just right, or we don't want it. And I'm afraid in that mindset of our culture that we have begun to apply that mindset to people as well as things. And we veered so far away from the restoration of what Jesus had for Peter that we live in a culture today that by and large, we throw people away. We toss them away. I, I don't want that person in my life. I, that, that person is not perfect, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search for that. By the way, that's why there are so many people that have been married one, two, three, four, five times. Uh, and many that are fearful to be married and, and have no commitment whatsoever uh, because, well, I don't want to commit to this person because I'm not sure they're perfect yet. Now, Christian, I believe we see here that Jesus Christ God in the flesh, who is perfect, who was dealing with imperfect people, teaches us the importance of restoration, the importance of people. Now, let me remind you what has happened. The disciples have fled. Peter followed afar off. Peter then denied the Lord three times in the cock crew. Jesus went to the cross. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. And by the way, the Bible tells us Jesus had already appeared to the disciples. It wasn't they didn't know what had happened. They knew. And yet we see Peter again said, I'm going fishing. That's where we are. The man who Jesus had said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, has said, I'm going back. He doesn't want me anyway. He'd be ashamed of me anyway. Jesus couldn't use me anymore anyway. So I'm just going to go back to being a fisherman. That's where we begin in chapter, nine, or chapter 21 of John. And we see that verses 1 through 19, how Jesus restores Peter and the other disciples to a place of fellowship. Where once there had been some doubt, where once no doubt Peter thought, I don't think he even wants me anymore. Where there had been doubt, now there's delight. Where there had been failure, now there would be victory. And I believe that's what Christ wants in your life and my life. Christian, can I tell you that God doesn't throw us away? He doesn't throw us back. How many of you like to go fishing? How many of you like to eat fish when you go fishing? Rebecca's up helping her mother in Sunday school, but I, Rebecca likes to go fishing, but she gets very mad if I tell her we can't keep fish. She's like, what's the purpose of fishing if you can't keep the fish? Like, why, why, why would you do that if you can't take them home and eat them? And I get it. 
uh, Jim O'Neill, who passed away a few years ago, uh, Jim was just the opposite. Jim loved to fish, Elizabeth's husband. But he was allergic to fish. He couldn't even eat them. Uh, that'd be a perfect situation for an Alberta fisherman because we can't keep hardly anything here. But, you know, when you go fishing, when I was growing up, you know, we never had to measure a fish. There's, there's no regulations in the state of West Virginia about the size of fish you can keep. I mean, you don't have, okay, you can keep one this size. No. When I was growing up, if you caught it, hey, it's yours. I don't, I don't care if it's an alien from outer space. If it came out of the water, you get to eat it. Mermaid, merman, whatever, you just eat it. <laughs> then I came to Alberta. And I was like, oh, you can't keep this fish. And the most delicious fish in the world. You can't keep that one. You can't keep this. And it has to be here. If it's this big, you can keep it. Or if it's this big, you can keep it. But nothing else. And you look at it and go, man, what if I just cut a piece of it off? Oh, that's about the right size. And we're constantly tossing them back. Tossing them back. Too many times we treat people, they don't suit me. They're not perfect. They did something I don't agree with. Sadly, oftentimes in churches, we see people treated that way. In marriages and relationships and families and homes. But can I tell you one person who never treats us that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. Never does he say, never. There may come a time, and we see in the book of Corinthians, where he may say, you know what? I, I'm going to just bring you home. Because I, I'm not, there's not going to be success down there. It's going to be better if I just take you to heaven. But we see here in this passage a couple things. Number one, I'm going to give you this last week. We see the futility in verses 1 through 8. In this passage, verses 1 through 8, we see the disciples were defeated. They were discouraged. They were hungry. Their master was gone. They'd gone back to what they knew. They'd gone back to their past life. They'd gone back into the rut of the way they used to live before they followed Jesus. And they went back to what they were successful at, what they were good at. Speaking of fishing, I'm going to pick on Brother Mike for a minute. Brother Mike, in the Philippines, he caught fish, supposedly. How many of you question his uh, truthfulness? And Brother Mike came to Canada. Every time Brother Mike went fishing, he never caught a fish. He said, Pastor, I don't know what's going on. I can't catch a fish in Canada. It's because he speaks Tagalog and not English when he's fishing. <laughs> but he wasn't successful. All of us have something that we feel, oh, I'm pretty good at that. For me, I'm pretty good at eating. Uh, I've got some skill there. But the disciples went back to a place of strength. They went to a place of, okay, I, I know how to do this. I'm comfortable here. I, I, I can do this. They were fishing. That's all they'd ever known. They grew up there. They, they were back in what they, they, they could with their eyes closed. They could coast and, and go through the motions of fishing because that's where they were successful. And yet we find these followers of Jesus Christ, when they left following Christ, and by the way, they had turned back. They turned back. These followers of Christ who had turned back 
we found them even in their area of strength, we find that there was futility. They were tempted in discouragement. By the way, the devil tempted Jesus after he'd fasted 40 days. That place of weakness. We've all been there. But they were seeing nothing but futility. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us Paul shared his testimony as God gave him to give to the church at Corinth about how he had a thorn in the flesh that God had given him lest he be exalted above measure. Here we see the great fisherman failing. Failing. They had no success. By the way, if they had caught every fish in the sea, they would have been failures still yet. It was futile. Letter A there in your notes, we see the disciples were faithless. This is what's amazing to me. Verse 14. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. Now, if you had watched the crucifixion, and then you watched as that Roman soldier took the spear and not delicately poked, but bore through the Lord and pulled it out and watched the water and blood come down. If you'd seen the lifeless, dead body of our Lord taken off of that cross, if you'd watched him carried to that tomb, it's understandable that those that watched that day could have been faithless. It's too late. There's no hope. But can I tell you, the Bible tells us that more has happened than just Jesus going to the cross and him going to the tomb. At this point, these men, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, have two times since they watched his body come off the cross, have seen the Lord. I'm talking about a man who died. They saw he was alive after. That's powerful. That, that, that's amazing. And yet, twice they saw the Lord and Peter said, well, fellas, I go fishing. And they said, yeah, we're going with you too. Christians, sometimes it doesn't take very much to remove our faith. Sometimes the slightest little bump the slightest little doubt, the slightest little inconvenience causes our faith to go all the way down. But the disciples here were faithless. They'd surrendered to follow Jesus. That song we sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. But how about when it gets hard? How about when you begin to feel like a I'm such a failure, God would never want me. I blew it so bad last week. I, what's the point? Man, I'm really struggling with that thing that I shouldn't be struggling with. I'm sure that God doesn't love me anymore. And you know why you have those thoughts is because our culture breeds that kind of wrong thinking. Our culture breathes the thinking that we have to perform to be accepted by God. 
And I'm sure the disciples had those feelings. Whatever it was, they were faithless. I mentioned Charles Lindbergh last week who flew across the Atlantic in 1927. He had lots of doubts. In his book he wrote after, he said that all the way until he got to the halfway point, he began to hear, and he's on his way across the ocean, all the way to the halfway point, he said he had doubts all along the way. Many times he thought, man, maybe I should turn around. Maybe this was a bad idea. But when he crossed the halfway point, he realized it's closer there than it is going back. The disciples were at that place where they said, no, we're just, we're just going to go back. We're just going to go back. They were faithless. Their faith had waned. After all he's done for you, after all he's done for me, so often we become faithless. Not only that, but we touched on this thought already of the area of futility in verse 5. The disciples were fruitless. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. Remember, they went back to what they knew, their fishing. They grew up there on that sea, the Sea of Tiberias. They grew up fishing. They knew how to fish. They knew where the fish were. They knew how to fish. They knew everything about boats and nets and everything involved in fishing. And they fished all night, all night long. By the way, the same people who couldn't pray all night fished all night. I mentioned that Wednesday, your priorities will be visible. Maybe not to you, but to others. But well, the same people that couldn't pray for an hour, all night long they fished. And all night long they were failures. And had they kept fishing all day long, they would have been failures. And by the way, Christian, had they caught a thousand fish, they would have still been failures in following Jesus. The Lord allowed them not to catch fish that night to teach them a lesson of not only their faithlessness, but also a lesson about their fruitlessness. The disciples were fruitless. They were fruitless. They had nothing to show for what they'd done. They'd worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and all night. We're not talking about lazy man fishing. When I was a boy, we fished for catfish. Catfishing is lazy man fishing. You, know, you put your bait on the hook. You cast your line out into the river. You set your rod down on a crooked stick, tighten the line a little bit till the line's tight, then you sit back on the shore and just watch the tip of the rod. And you just wait. I mean, you might wait for two or three hours. You might wait 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, you see that rod go down, you get a fish in, and there's not much work to that kind of fishing. These guys all night long are casting nets and pulling nets and rolling nets and casting nets and pulling nets all night working and laboring all night. And then Jesus on the seashore, maybe probably about 150 yards away they were. They weren't that far. 
maybe between 250 and 400 feet out. They, they weren't far from shore. Jesus said, hey, got any fish? Can I tell you the question that nobody wants to hear when they've been fishing and don't have any fish? You got any fish? You know the answer you want to give? Now, you don't want your children to say these words, but the answer you want to give, shut up. Don't talk to me. I don't want to talk about it. Got any fish over there? No. They were fruitless. Christian, can I remind you that your life and my life outside the will of God is fruitless? That's how those that accumulate mountains of money in their life can go and take their own life and say, what's the point? That's how those who are so popular that everyone in the world knows their name and yet they die miserably. Why? Because their life is fruitless. You and I live a fruitless life anywhere we live outside the will of the, of the will of God. Jesus asked the question, do you have any fish? And of course they did not. Psalm 1611, thou wilt show me the path of life and thy presence is fullness of joy. At the right hand there are pleasures evermore. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. We see here the Bible speaks about the fact there is no blessing. There is no fruitfulness when I get outside the will of God. Hey, Peter, how you doing over there? Well, I'm back to fishing. You enjoying it? No. How you doing? I feel like a failure. And Christian, we become to the point where we feel like failures, even when we find worldly success, when we are away from serving and following the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had said to Peter, come. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But Peter's back on, the, back on the boat. Back in the old lifestyle. And yet he is fruitless. We see that plainly here. Number two. We see the futility, but number two this morning, I want us to focus on this, the feasting. How many of you like the feasting? That's the best part. Verses 6 through 8, look there with me if you will. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and had cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. 
in the midst of their futile activity, in the midst of their uselessness as they must have felt, the stranger on the shore cried to them and said, Hey, fellas, you haven't caught anything yet, huh? She cast on that side of the ship. I don't want to change the word of God. Uh, the Bible is very plain about those that change his word. Uh, but I kind of think that the Bible doesn't speak to it. But I imagine that when they cast the net where Jesus said, I think they only did it so they could pull the net up and go, nope, you're an idiot. You know what you're talking about. I think they did it so they could then mock the guy and say, man, what do you think you know? And yet they tossed it and immediately it was full of fish. But we see that Jesus called out to them. Something about that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? If you've read the Gospels, you know that in the book of Luke, we see the Lord doing something almost exactly the same to these men. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. And the fishermen were going out from them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust down a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and taken nothing. By the way, Peter had been there before. We've toiled all night and taken nothing. Nevertheless, if thy will, I were, thy word, I'll let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned to their partners, which were in the other ship, and they should come to help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so they began to sink when... Simon Peter saw it. Saw what? Saw what Jesus did, the miracle. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draught of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus saith unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Christian, can I tell you that Jesus told them to cast on the other side to remind them of when he had called them to follow him. Those men had seen this happen before. John would look and say, Peter, that's Jesus. Peter, don't you remember on your boat? Remember when Jesus did that after he preached off our boat that day? That's Jesus. Jesus brought them to that place of remembering when he had called them and the purpose he had for them. The disciples had abandoned their call. But Christian, I love this. Jesus never abandoned them. I want to say that again. The disciples abandoned their call. But they were not abandoned by Jesus. 
You may defect in the Lord's army. You may go AWOL from your purpose. But Christian, there's still a loving God in heaven who looks down at you as you get cold towards him, as you sometimes deny him, as you doubt him, and he still says, I love him. I love her. I want to use them. We see the Lord here calls out to them. We'll note a few things here first, and I mentioned this already, but it was John, the one who loved, the one who the Bible says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was the first one that looked and said, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. The Bible tells us that my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. I wonder. I wonder how often we fail to recognize the Lord. John recognized the Lord. He loved the one who loved him. Do we recognize the voice of the Lord? Wednesday night, Alex and I were back looking at the washrooms to be they're not done yet but they're getting close and as we were in talking about the the plumbing Alex Dack and I we were in there and I heard we both heard a voice in the entryway I looked at him he looked at me both our eyes opened up and I said that sounds like your mom he's like yeah that sounds like my mom and uh, he had forgotten his mom was here for the whole week. She was here Wednesday night. Elizabeth was in the hallway. But both of us went, I think that's your mom's voice. Do we recognize the Lord's voice? John recognized the Lord. John 10, verse 15 says, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said unto her, Mary, just one word, just one word. He'd been speaking, but he, all he said was one word, Mary. And the Bible tells us there in that passage that she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni which is to say master. She recognized the voice of Jesus when he called her name. My name is Brian. Has two syllables. B-R-I-A-N. I've had people spell it with a Y. I had a, a Mexican bakery in Chicago once made a cake for me and my wife and my best friend and his wife, we both got married two weeks apart. Our, both of our weddings were two, two weeks apart. And several of our friends in the ministry there had, a, had a, a cake for us. I think it was after we got married. 
And on the cake, it said, congratulations. Now, it was a Mexican bakery that made it. There was some language barrier with the English-speaking person who went. But on that cake, it said, happy birthday, Brother Brain. <laughs> our, our congratulations, Brother Brain and Miss, I think it was Kara. And my dear friend's name, Jeremy. They got Jeremy right. But the wife's name is Heather. It was Miss Heifer. And uh, I got a great kick out of Miss Heifer. That was my favorite part. H-E-P-H-E-R, Heifer. But as I mentioned, two syllables of my name, Brian. My grandfather, though, when he called my name, called it with one very long syllable. My grandfather called me Brian, B-R-I-N-E, I think is how you would word that. Now, it took, it took about five minutes to say it. He drug that word out, but it was just one syllable, Brian. Very recognizable. Christian, the voice of God should be very recognizable if you're used to listening to it. John recognized the voice. Second, not only was John the first to recognize the voice, and I love this, when John said, hey, Peter, I know who that is. That's Jesus. Now, the Bible tells us a bit later, the disciples got out. They got in a boat. They started, they started paddling. They had to get to shore. But Peter, when Peter found out it was Jesus, the Bible says he jumped in the water and started swimming. He wanted to get as close as he could as fast as he could to the Lord. Christian, do we want to be close to him? Do we desire closeness? Peter had, by the way, Peter had some issues that needed to be dealt with. Peter could have stayed and got on the little boat and went and got there to Jesus, but Peter was living by a principle that we find in the book of James, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. So as we think about this feasting, letter A, let's talk about every, uh, every Baptist favorite thing. Let's talk about the food. Amen. Verse 11 through 13. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three, and for all there were so many, it was not the net broken. And Jesus saith to them, Come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? And Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth to them, and fish likewise. While the Lord's presence alone would have been enough, the Lord provided bread and fish to sustain the disciples. I don't think it was a fancy meal, but it's what they needed. Christian, can I remind you that God meets our needs, but doesn't always cater to our whims, our fancies, but he meets our needs. He meets our needs. In the wilderness, God fed his people every day. And they said, oh, Lord, we're tired of this 
Ah, oh, this bread, this manna, we don't like it, we don't want it. Give us some, give us some flesh to eat. But they were eating every day. God met their need. Christ met the need of the disciples here. He met their need with the bread and with the fish. He doesn't promise luxuries, but he does promise to meet our needs. Therefore, take no thought, saying, Matthew chapter 6, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? For wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. George Mueller of Bristol, England, the man who was an amazing man of prayer. By the way, we know Mr. Mueller is a man of prayer not because he talked about his prayer life. Mr. Mueller didn't go around saying, hey, did I tell you how great of a prayer warrior I am? It was after Mr. Mueller died that his diary was found. And the world would learn of the prayer life of George Mueller. Mr. Mueller followed God's call. During his ministry, he started and operated five large orphanages. He trusted God to provide for those orphans. On one occasion, one of the orphanages was totally out of money. Completely. They had absolutely nothing to feed the children. I mean nothing. They had nothing at all. Mr. Mueller had the children sit down at their tables with their bowls empty in front of them. Their spoons beside of their bowls, nothing for them to use the spoons to eat. And he had them bow their heads and pray with him. As they prayed, asking the Lord to provide food for them, food that did not exist, In his biography, it relates that even as they were praying, a knock came at the door. A farmer taking milk and food to market had a wheel break on his cart. The farmer realized there was no way he'd make it to market. The food would go bad, and he decided to see if he could donate it to this orphanage where he was. And they had their food. Mueller started his ministry philosophy with these words, words penned by Mr. Mueller. The first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need, not only by prayer and faith, without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers, whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. We serve the same God today. The disciples were hungry. The Lord met their need. The scripture says in the book of Philippians, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The context of that verse makes it obvious that our physical needs are, are, are the text. That's what the Lord is speaking of to the church at Philippi. King David learned in a personal way when fleeing from Saul 
What did David say? David said, I've never seen thy servants begging bread. God's always cared for me. We're to help, called to help meet the physical needs of others. What to the prophet, James tells us, my brethren, though a man may say he hath faith and have not works, and faith can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful for the body, what to the prophet? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So we see the food. The Lord provided for them. But number two, we see there was more than food. How many of you have ever shared a meal somewhere with folks that you did not know? Uh, there was no conversation. You, you just were there. There's a ramen place on 104th Ave in Oliver Square area. Not nearly as good, Brother Mike, as the one you took me to in Vancouver. But uh, I can't think of the name of it. But uh, a month or two ago, I went there and I walked in. And it's the kind of place where they start serving. And as long as they have soup, they serve. And then they shut down. And I walked in and they had one chair available at the little counter when you walk in. Is, is that okay? I said, absolutely. Uh, as long as you let me sit down and eat, that's all I care about. And I sat down. I had a guy beside of me on this side, a guy beside of me on this side. Uh, I tried to say hello to this guy, and this guy just turned away from me. I thought, well, I guess I'm, I'm not going to talk to that guy. And I thought, I started to say something. I turned to say something to this guy, and this guy looked at me, just shook his head, no, don't talk to me. So I, I, we, we all three were there. We were all eating, but we didn't have any connection whatsoever. We were fed. The disciples had more than food. I want you to notice here, let her be the fellowship. And this is amazing to me, verse 15 through 19. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon. They didn't, he didn't just say, okay, guys, you can eat. There was fellowship. There was a time when Jesus would converse with Peter and that fellowship would show his desire to pull Peter back into himself. The disciples had their stomachs filled, but they had their hearts warmed as well because of the fellowship with Christ. Jesus himself served them. He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. Psalm 107.1 will give thanks unto the Lord for his good. For his mercy endureth forever. They knew what it was to have close fellowship with the Lord. You understand that these men had spent three, about three years of their life on average every day with Jesus. He was their teacher. They followed him. They walked with him. They talked with him. They had shared hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meals with Jesus. And here they are again, fellowshipping together. They were back to that place. I'm going to talk about Adam this morning in the message, but Adam had had fellowship with the Lord until one day he was hiding and the fellowship was gone. The disciples had fellowship. Jacob's encounter with the angel of the Lord gave him what he needed to face his brother Esau. He needed the courage to do so. It came from the fellowship with his God. Gideon met God by his father's wine press and was transformed 
from a timid, fearful young man to a mighty warrior. Bible examples throughout Scripture are full. The Bible's replete with people that had fellowship with their God. In prison, Paul and Silas communed with God and fellowship with God. And as a result of their fellowship, a family, a whole family came to Christ. Can I tell you that the Lord would fellowship with Peter? Next week we're going to get more into that fellowship, but I'm sure Peter thought he... He doesn't want to see me. But he wanted that close relationship back with Peter. We're going to see next week how he offered Peter that opportunity to share his love. Christian, can I encourage you to realize that God wants to fellowship with you. So, oh no, the Lord doesn't want me. I'm, I'm too far away. I... I've done so much. I've gotten so far away from where I should be. The Lord doesn't want me. Can I tell you the Lord wanted to reclaim and restore the fellowship he had with Peter and James and John and the other disciples. And he wants a restoration in your life and mine as well. He doesn't want to throw us away. He wants to restore us. We're going to see that restoration come full circle here next week. Let's pray together, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord, to see what you want for us. Help us not to be blinded by religion, by false teaching. Help us not to follow our heart as the devil would like us to do. Lord, may we follow your truth instead. May we realize that your love is perfect and holy. May we realize that you love us not based upon our performance, but based upon your decision to love us. Lord, I'm so thankful that you give us chance after chance after chance. Lord, you want to use us. Lord, I'm reminded of Jonah who ran from your presence And yet you used him. God, would you help us to see that? Help us also, Lord, to deal with others the way you deal with us. Help us, Lord, this morning. We need you. May you be glorified for our gathering together and our service to come. In your precious name we pray. Amen.